Beyond the Box, 18. End of an Era, Israel's New Government, or, question mark, Bye Bye Bibi. He has been a towering figure in Israeli and even global politics, and his reign has been 15 non-consecutive years, three years from 1996 to 1999, and then for the last 12 years, 2009 to 2021. Many younger Israelis have known no other leader than this man. It is reported that, apart from the American president, he receives more world leaders than any other leader himself. While increasingly a polarizing figure at home, he has been received with great honor in such far-flung capitals as Washington, Moscow, and even Beijing. Of course, the man in question is Benjamin B.B. Netanyahu, who is Israel's longest-serving prime minister. On Sunday, 13th of June, 2021, Netanyahu reluctantly, in fact, I'd say most reluctantly, ceded power to the prime ministership of a new change government. Change is with a capital C. How can we assess this man Benjamin Netanyahu. From an objective point of view, he has been an effective leader. He's been finance minister and, of course, for 15 years, prime minister. And in both capacities, he has presided over the growth of Israel's economy, helping Israel to become a startup capital and Middle Eastern Silicon Valley. Now, it may not be well known to many people, but when Israel first came into existence in 1948, it had more of a socialist kind of leaning, governmentally and otherwise, although it still was democratic. And it it could very well be Netanyahu, in his tenure as finance minister, that helped move the economy from socialism and from state control to market control. And therefore, the Jewish genius for making money just proliferated like we can never believe. So, with that, he gets full marks with his innovations and the like. Now, when it comes to issues like national security and counterterrorism, Israelis have trusted him probably more than anyone else. And it is Netanyahu who has, again, more than any other world leader, for many years, sounded the alarm over Iran's nuclear program. But it's also on the diplomatic front that he deserves high marks, because all these years he's been quietly building relations with the Arab world, particularly Saudi Arabia and some of the Gulf countries. Now, this was unthinkable a few years ago. The Arab world had been monolithic when it came to their no recognition of Israel, no peace with Israel, and no negotiation with Israel. Israel, as far as they were concerned, did not exist. One of the more amusing aspects of this stance would be in the United Nations. You may or may not recall there were times when the Israeli delegate would go up to the podium to speak in the UN, and as soon as that delegation, or shall we say representative, the ambassador, was speaking from the podium of the UN, then the 
Arab delegation all stood up and walked out. Now, of course, this would seem like small-minded and immature stance to take, but actually there was more to it. Because as far as they were concerned, Israel didn't exist. Not only didn't have a right to exist, but didn't exist. So why do you want to listen to somebody saying something about nothing? I like how Lance Lambert once put it. We might as well go out and have a coffee. So when they got up and left, that's what they did. Well, that's changing. And Netanyahu has a part to play in that change. Because, like everything else, the evolving no recognition of Israel has come to a quiet, cautious, some cases under the table embrace, in a few cases above the table embrace. The Arab world, at least some of the key players, are attracted to Israel's technology, and they see the Jewish state as a serious and effective counterweight to the menacing presence of Iran, because the Arab states view Iran just as much as a threat as Israel does, so they're teaming up together. Then, in October 2020, under the supervision of U.S. President Donald Trump, came what is called the Abraham Accords, where countries like the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco all agreed to make peace with Israel, with other Arab nations to follow. This is a major thing, this Abraham Accords, because it was in 1979 that Israel made peace with Egypt. In 1994, Israel made peace with Jordan. And from then till now, at 26 years, there had not been another peace agreement between Israel and any other Arab state. But between the labors of Netanyahu and Trump, Abraham Accords came into existence. In regard to everything else, Netanyahu is very powerfully eloquent. In English and in Hebrew, he is virtually unrivaled. However, it's not all roses. Whenever somebody has been in power for a long time, no matter who they are, there's always the danger of corruption. Now, Netanyahu is being currently tried in Israeli courts for that very thing of corruption. He denies any wrongdoing. And, of course, he should be presumed innocent until proven guilty. But, of course, having a sitting prime minister going through a corruption trial isn't exactly the healthiest thing for any nation-state. It Also, there has been political stalemate with four elections in two years. And in the four elections, they only had one government that only lasted a short time between Netanyahu and Benny Gans of Blue and White. This stalemate is to be credited to Netanyahu simply because he's so powerful and he really was the epicenter. Then, of course, his attacks on the incoming government have been very, very virulent. So he's not, shall we say, being very gracious. But like always, there are two sides to every story. Allow me to introduce to you Naftali Bennett. He is the man who is replacing Netanyahu as Prime Minister of Israel. He is the leader of what is called the New Right Party also known in Hebrew as Yamina. Bennett was born in March 1972 in the city of Haifa. 
His parents were Olim, or migrants, from the United States. Bennett was an amazingly successful business owner and multimillionaire. I think it's in high tech that he excelled in a couple of successful businesses. He is also an observant Orthodox Jew. Bennett is married to a professional pastry chef called Gilat, and they have four children. Now, politically speaking, Bennett is right of Netanyahu, is supposed to be, Netanyahu is supposed to be right of center, and he is even more so. In fact, many describe Bennett as ultra-nationalist. He is against the formation of a Palestinian state in what he calls the tiny land of Israel. He believes in cutting taxes, reducing regulation, and encouraging small business. Now, while he affirms that homosexuals have the same human rights as everyone else, he's against the advancement of a gay agenda, and he's definitely against same-sex marriage. Many of his coalition partners, and even Netanyahu himself, are far more gay-friendly than Naftali Bennett. Israel has a very interesting democratic system, proportional representation, which simply means with the proliferation of political parties on the landscape, every Israeli election, if it has a government formed, is a hung parliament. That means every Israeli government is a coalition. Under Netanyahu, his coalition had a lot of right-wing parties and religious parties. And these smaller parties can demand their pound of flesh for being part of the government. This can create a lot of resentment, but that's how the system works. Under Bennett, strangely enough for all his right-wing and religious stance, there are no religious parties and there's no right-wing parties in this new change government. The left has replaced the right. And for the first time ever in Israeli history, the Arab parties, and yes, Israel is 20%, or at least 18 to 20% ethnic Arab, they joined the, the coalition under what is called the joint list. So now the Arab joint list is part of the Israeli coalition government. It is, of course, an understatement to say that there will be challenges ahead. Their main partner for Bennett and Yamina is Yesh Atid, which means there is a future. It's a secular, so-called centrist party, but many would consider it a left party. It's led by a man called Yair Lapid. They have made an agreement, Bennett and Yapid, for what is called revolving agreement, or prime ministerial musical chairs. Bennett is supposed to serve as prime minister from June 13, 2021 to the 27th of August, 2023, a little over two years. On the latter date, Lapid will become prime minister until November 2025. That is, if this government survives. It is hanging by a thread. Just one person out of the 61-member coalition, which is what you need minimally to be in government, if just one person defects, the government comes tumbling down like the Temple of Dagon. That if is a very big if. The prospects are not good. And as I said, 
new elections would happen if one person leaves. Let me put it to you in another context. There's 120 seats in the Israeli Knesset, the parliament. You need 61 seats to form government. Yamina, whose head is Bennett, they have only seven seats out of the 120. Yeshatid under Lapid has 17 seats. Neither of these parties, Yamina or Yeshatid, have primaries. So they technically aren't as democratic as the few parties, like Likud and Labor, who do have primaries. Now, Bennett is a conservative, right of Netanyahu, and he made a promise to the conservatives who voted for him he would never allow a coalition with Yair Lapid, who's considered a bit too far right, or far left, and he would never go in coalition with Mansour Abbas, the Islamic movement, or the joint list. He would never go with Lapid, he would never go with the Arab list, and he's done both. He could have joined with Netanyahu, who I think his block of parties is 59 out of the 120, but he chose to go to the left. It is said that the conservatives who voted for Bennett are so angry that if the elections were held again, instead of getting seven seats, he would only get three seats, which means he wouldn't even be at the Knesset at all. Now, very interesting is the reaction of the Arab world. Because the Arab world, they, uh, they don't really think or talk much about Bennett or Lapid. They are, compared to Netanyahu, they would seem to be sardines compared to the dolphin. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. It's just Netanyahu was so dominant that everyone else seems small in comparison. But one thing the Arab world is dumbstruck at is why did the Israeli government, even a left-wing government, in coalition with the Arab party, especially because it's considered de facto Muslim Brotherhood. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood is the oldest and biggest Islamist organization in the world. It's been banned in many Arab countries. Hamas in Gaza is the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. So the Arabs are saying, how can an Israeli government be in coalition with Muslim Brotherhood through this Arab parties? It's a good question. So let me just, first of all, talk about the Netanyahu factor. He's still in the parliament. It doesn't seem like he's going away, and nor will he be canceled. So he is basically the opposition leader, as well as the leader of his Likud party. It is no secret that he wants to undermine the new government, and considering the ultra-thin majority that they have, like one seat, that may not be hard to do. And it won't be necessarily just Netanyahu will put the change government to the test. Two days after Bennett took office, Hamas deployed fire balloons from Gaza, which have started 30 fires in the Israeli areas near the border. Let me just give you a quote from a so-called right-wing man, Avishai ben Haim. He speaks for many conservatives in Israel. He's more, I think, from the Sephardic branch rather than the Ashkenazi or European branch. And he was speaking on Israel radio talk with Sharon Gal. And this is what he said, if you, just a quick quote. 
thanks to Israel Today magazine. What we see now is a historic event where one of the greatest Jewish leaders of all times is being humiliated and dethroned. Netanyahu is a national symbol for countless Israeli Jews. He embodies the Jewish sentiment. Those who are awaiting his undemocratic demise are demonstrating a truly frightening immoral removal of a prime minister loved by the common folks, by the hegemony that after years of character assassination and persecution has succeeded to politically paralyze Netanyahu. What's most frightening is that Bennett knows all this. He knows that he is going to become prime minister on the basis of travesty. He wasn't elected. All he did was use Netanyahu's persecution for his own gain. Bennett is taking advantage of the hegemony abominable act that crushed a prime minister. I see this as more deplorable than his election campaign lies. The campaign against Netanyahu is not about him. It's a campaign designed to suppress the national and Jewish feeling. It is all part of a plan to advance post-Zionist, post-national, and post-Jewish values, and Bennett is now taking part in it. This could be hyperbole, but it certainly does help illustrate the polarization that's happened in Israel over this last election. So what can we do about this? When it comes to the Middle East, especially Israel, learn to expect the unexpected. In the meantime, there is something you can do. It's called pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122 and verse 6. Jew and Arab, Christian and Muslim, all will be better off when you do pray for this peace.